0: There are two categories of sin, as Pastor Ed Taylor explains.
1: The sins of commission include those things that we do even though we know they're wrong. Secondly, there's the sin of omission. And this is a willful sin on our part where we know what's right and we don't do what's right. So we avoid doing the right thing. The sin of commission, we do the wrong thing. The sin of omission, we avoid doing the right thing.
0: This is a messing grace. This is a
1: failing love. Glad you would take my place.
0: Sin is man's greatest problem and the forgiveness of sin is God's greatest accomplishment. How did he do it and who is it for? What's needed to receive it? We'll get some answers to those questions and more on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. That comes to our attention in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's join Pastor Ed there as he begins. Take your Bibles and
1: open them to Hebrews chapter 10. As we continue our study through the book of Hebrews, we'll finish the chapter today, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26, in a Bible study that I've entitled, If We Sin Willfully. If We Sin Willfully. And after learning about the joy of fellowship and the joy of the fellowship family of God, after we've been instructed not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, we come to another warning in the book of Hebrews. And it's a troubling passage of scripture. It's one of those passages of scripture that if you had a top five of difficult scriptures in the Bible, this would definitely be one of them. Actually, two of them are found in Hebrews. Chapter six, which we've looked at, and here today in chapter 10. And both of them have been used by people out of context to scare you into thinking that you can lose your salvation if you make a mistake or have a sinful failure in your life as a believer. And it's such a troubling warning that not only has it been misapplied and misinterpreted, but it's confounded Bible students, scholars, commentators, and believers even to this day. And like we were in chapter 6... We also want to be reminded today in chapter 10 that we don't want to miss the forest of God's love and faithfulness because of a few difficult scriptural trees. You know how that saying goes that you can lose the forest through the trees? Well, be careful that you don't get stuck in one particular area and you miss the whole point of God's word, of his great love for you and the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's actually pinpointing This section, the the area that this section emphasizes the most is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in your life. And we don't want to miss that. Pick up in verse 26 now in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, And fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has, number one, trampled the Son of God underfoot. Number two, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. And then thirdly, insulted the spirit of grace. Verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I'm caught at the very beginning of verse 26 by that phrase if we sin willfully. I mean, don't we all sin willfully? Don't you all sin willfully? Yes or no? Of course. So, this is a category that will include everyone that's listening. We all sin willfully. And yet, in our willful actions, there are actually two categories, two bigger categories of sins that are important to understand. Number one, there is the sin of commission. The sin of commission. You get the word commit from that same root. And those are sins that we commit on purpose. Really, the sins of commission include those things that we do even though we know they're wrong. So when you have a sin of commission, you are sinning, even though you know it's wrong, you're going to do it anyway. Secondly, there's the sin of omission. Now this is similar, but a little different. And this is a willful sin on our part where we know what's right and we don't do what's right. So we avoid doing the right thing. The sin of commission, we do the wrong thing. The sin of omission, we avoid doing the right thing. And either way, those are willful sins. Mark that word in verse 26, the word sin in Hebrews 10:26. It's a word that literally means to miss the mark. This particular word in the original language is har martano. Har martano. And what it means is to err, like error, to swerve or to do wrong. And the idea is missing the mark. When you think of missing the mark, think of a marksman. Think of a a bow and arrows, pulling back the arrow and shooting at the bullseye. When you miss the bullseye, you have missed the mark. You could say that you sinned. And the mark for the believer in our lives, if you'd look at our lives as aiming towards something, is perfection. And because all of us have missed perfection, we have, therefore, sinned. And we've sinned willfully. Sin is a part of our lives, even as believers. As believers, we continue to sin. We are not sinless followers of Jesus. Neither do we become sinless this side of eternity. Because the Bible says, if you have failed in one area of the law, you've broken it all. And that's how we were introduced to Jesus, by our own failures. But even as believers, we still sin. We're not sinless. However... One thing you'll notice in your life is that as you continue to mature and grow in God's grace, even though you won't become sinless, you will find yourself sinning less. Avoiding it. Taking the way of escape. Resisting temptation. Resisting the devil and he flees from you. So if we willfully sin, that's all of us, then these things apply. But I want you to notice when you get to verse 32, there is a Contrast being made here, where it says, "But recall the former days." So, as he's writing, he is writing to a group of Hebrew believers that have a context, and that word is very important: context. Not only do they have a context, and so do you. The Bible has a context, and don't let anyone ever come to you with this passage of Scripture taking it out of context. You say, "Ed, what do you mean?" Well, the Bible was written to a particular group of people in a particular time. And it meant something to the original audience. So until you understand what it meant to the original audience, you will never be able to understand what it means to you today. And that's a big mistake that teachers make and many pastors make. They just skip the context completely and they just say, well, this is what I think the Bible says to you today. But we are separated by thousands of years from the people that it was written to. And we're not Hebrew Christians living in the first century that have a temple with temple worship happening in our own backyard, that's not us. So in order for us to understand what this text means, we need to first understand what it meant historically, grammatically, and also contextually. And I'm sure you have met people over the years that have taken the Bible out of context. Another way that we might say that is that they'll take the Bible and make it say whatever they want it to say. Well, don't listen to people like that, the Bible says what God wants us to say. So we got to get to the heart of the matter so that we understand what he meant to the audience. Then we can understand what it means to us today. So never forget to read the Bible in its context, to who it was written, to the audience. Because we won't be able to fully understand God's heart until we understand what God was saying in the moment. Now, remember, Hebrews, this book that we've been studying for many months now, was written to a group of Jewish believers who were being drawn back and tempted back to temple worship with its sacrificial system. They would literally bring their offerings of sacrifice into the temple to the priests and offer them up in replacement of their sins by faith in God. Until Messiah came. And we've learned in our study in Hebrews that when Messiah came, he's the lamb, once for all, given himself in sacrifice, that he takes away. He doesn't cover sins. Jesus literally takes away our sins. And he's the last sacrifice. So here's the warning in the minds of those listening. Here's the warning. If you return to temple worship, if that's the choice you make, to offer a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice for your sins, you have missed the point completely and you're turning your back on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 26. He says, if you go back, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So what he's saying is after the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, all those other sacrifices that are still ongoing don't matter. They have no bearing on a person's life. Once Jesus has come... Once he died, once he was buried, and once he rose again, there is no more sacrificial system ever, never, ever for the forgiveness of your sins or mine. That's why you don't see people walking into church on a Sunday with a lamb around their neck right up to the altar here and saying, here it is, Ed. No, no, no. Hopefully, if you came to church with a lamb around your neck, they would catch you before you ever get in the building. And go, dude, what are you doing? Well, I just came, I I read the Bible and it says I'm supposed to bring my animal. Well, Well, no, 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 you didn't read far enough because as you continue to read, you'll learn that Jesus Christ took the full weight and penalty for your sins and mine by the blood that he shed on the cross some 2,000 years ago. We don't offer animals anymore. So you can take your lamb back home, put it back in the backyard, we don't need to sacrifice it and you can enjoy your lamb. Because you enjoy the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of your life and your family. Everyone that places their faith in Him. They're ready to leave the sufficiency of the work of Jesus and go back to the temple and offer. And they're saying, there's no sacrifice at the temple anymore. It's gone. And you might say, but they're doing it still. No, no, it's done. They're doing it in vain. It will mean nothing There is no more sacrificial system that is in place for us to go. Remember, and it was was limited. Remember what an open door? It was only the high priest that went in once a year to the Holy of Holies, spread the blood on the mercy seat. And it was there that, that the sins of the whole nation would be covered. Everyone had their place, their faith in Jesus Christ. That's done. Now today, because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you no longer have to go backwards. That is it. That's the warning here. It's not a warning about losing your salvation. Don't let people use this text. Of, oh, see, you can lose your salvation. Nowhere, anywhere in the Bible is there ever one example, not even one, of a person being born again, unborn again, born again, unborn again, nowhere. There's no example of someone having eternal salvation that somehow it became temporary. Now, we've studied this in deeper ways in other Bible studies, especially in the book of Pe- First Peter. So I'd encourage you to go to our app and search through First Peter. I forget the title of the message, but it is a message all about the eternality of salvation and the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ and not your own works. Because can you imagine if salvation depended on your good works? How many times would you lose your salvation in a day, in an hour, in the last 15 minutes? It's not our works. We're saved by what? Grace, through faith. It's not our works, it's a gift of God. You can't add to what Jesus did on the cross. You can't add by promise keeping. You can't add by confessing to a man. You can't add by doing good deeds, by giving more, by doing more. That's a religious mindset. A religious mindset is I'm going to do for God so that I might feel better about myself. But a relationship mindset is that I abide in Christ because he has done it for me. All of it. I don't add anything. Being here today, obeying God in my calling and teaching you a Bible study makes me no better than you. And it doesn't make God love me anymore. He loves me and because of his love, I love him. And I want to be faithful to him. I want to do what God's called me to do. He's not making me do it. I get to do it. And there's just a life of freedom that way. I get to serve my Lord. He saved my life. I belong to him. This passage is not teaching a loss of salvation or losing something that you really never found, you never really earned. It's a warning not to go back. Because going back for a new covenant believer may indicate that you were never saved to begin with. You go, but I know a guy that's like, like, you could be backslidden. That's possible. We have an example of a son running away from home and taking his inheritance. We know him as the prodigal son. He never stopped being a son, even though he made a lot of bad decisions. That's possible. You Most likely, that's what's happening. But I can say this. There is still a warning It's a warning here. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. If you turn away, it may indicate you were never saved to begin with and you were just game playing. You never repented of your sins. You never surrendered your life and you were just playing religion. Maybe there was a girl here you wanted to meet or you thought you'd come to church you'd find yourself a marriage or you wanted to take advantage. Whatever purpose the church gave to you, you turn your back on Jesus Christ. It may mean you never embraced him to begin with and we call you to repentance. Whichever way you get there, admit where you are and come to Jesus. There is no salvation in religion. And don't think because you're in a church that emphasizes the new covenant, that emphasizes the grace of God and the finished work of the cross. Don't be mistaken that you can't fall into religious expression here. And just get into routine and repetition. Doing your duty. And that that doing your duty kind of appeases your conscience. Listen, if you're interested in doing anything, choose to abide in Christ, to stay put, to enjoy him. Because if you love him, Jesus said the natural response will be obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not you keep my commandments to prove your love for me. He didn't say that. He said, if you love me, you'll be obedient. It'll happen. It'll be your life. It'll be the banner over your life. There is no salvation in religion. No hope. No help. This isn't so much a warning against backsliding as it is a warning against turning your back on the finished work of Jesus Christ. For us today, that would mean adding to it. For us today, that would, be, that would mean that we aren't serious about our relationship. It would, it would mean that we don't invest in it, that we don't care, that we don't obey Jesus when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. It means that you're not trusting. There's no sacrifice for anyone that doesn't... That, th- this is what verse 26 is really saying. There's no sacrifice for anyone that doesn't trust in the one sacrifice. That's not, there's nothing else. And if there's nothing else, then you're going to find yourself like fearful. There's a certain fearful expectation, verse 27, of judgment, fiery indignation. For those that are separated from God and trust in works for their salvation, are going to be rudely awakened. Not only that, he contrasts in verse 28, the old covenant, Moses' law, without mercy, two or three witnesses, with the new covenant. He contrasts the covenants saying, look, even in the old covenant, two or three witnesses brought judgment. Yet now in the new covenant, the only witness that matters is Jesus. But even Jesus, he met us, didn't he? Because when they came against him, he says, I'm a witness, my father's a witness, So there's two witnesses there, and you can include the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That's three witnesses that prove to you exactly what Jesus said. Although we don't need them, because we have the witness of the Spirit of God inside of us, of his resurrection. The warning for us is don't do it. Don't turn away. Don't add to the finished work of the cross. Don't walk away. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Don't minimize his work with your works. Because your relationship with him is of utmost importance. And you know, a lot of pastors spend a lot of time, myself included, begging you to run to the Lord. Even today, the theme of our time of communion was let's go boldly. Let's go boldly. But I find at times I need to plead with you that you might taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm not pleading with you to be a good Christian. I'm not pleading with you to be a good church member. I'm not pleading with you to be a good boy, a good girl. I'm pleading with you to get right with the Lord. That's where all of life is found in him, where true life, where your thirst for more is answered with living water that flows from within you. I remember taking our, whenever we go to Israel, we go there on the teaching steps. And on the teaching steps, there would be steps that Jesus would normally take to get into the temple area, where in John's gospel, he would stand and say, is anyone thirst?" Does anyone thirst? You keep doing this ritual with the water and you go through with the water and you go all the way down to the pool of Siloam and you come back and you go to, you come back. But who's really thirsty here? And you talk to anybody that's in a religious expression and they'll tell you how thirsty they are. Your thirst is not quenched by good works. Your thirst for righteousness and for the goodness of God is not quenched by following the law. You know what the law does? The law just awakens sin in your life and makes you more miserable. You know you know how it is. When you see a law, don't touch wet paint, what do you do? You're curious. And you probably wouldn't even cared about that bench unless you saw that sign. Don't touch. Don't touch. Really? What shouldn't I touch? And you start walking circles around it. You know, maybe I will. Maybe I will. No, no. It says don't touch. But that sign awakened in you, what? A sinful desire. Because it's always in us. And your good works will not cover that in your life. God wants to deliver you by his finished work. He is calling you to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily traps you. He's saying lay down the alcohol. Lay down the drugs. Crucify that part. Don't dabble in it. Don't go there. Don't go to that relationship again. Don't run away. Don't turn your back. Your hope is found in running to the Lord, not away from the Lord. You go, well, I'll try to overcome it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and I'll do it little by little. But God wants to do it all at once if you trust him. All at once in the moment. Don't go back to self-effort. Don't go back to religious activity. Don't rely upon your own resources. Don't try to earn God's favor. Accept, receive, and rely upon the finished sacrifice for your sins. And it's finished. Jesus died for your sins in the past. Jesus died for your sins in the present, and Jesus died for any future sin.
0: What a great salvation Jesus has accomplished on the cross. As you just heard Pastor Ed Taylor say, past, present, and future sins are covered. That's cause for worship and also worthy of much more consideration. And we'll do that next time here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed, some in the church say you can lose your salvation. Others say you can't. But what about the listener whose concern is how can they know or have assurance of their salvation? Can you help them out? I can help them out, Larry. The Bible
1: says that these things were written so that you could know. First John, that you could know that you are saved, and I believe that you and I we can enjoy the assurance of our salvation just as we can enjoy the assurance of our son or daughterhood in our own family. Like, like we just know, even in, even in my case, right? I was adopted, so I, I am assured that my parents are my parents. There's just no question about it. There was a legal uh, commitment, even though I wasn't connected by blood, but there was a legal commitment that even if I decided, even if they said, get out, never want to see you again, which they didn't. But even if they did, uh, I'm still their son. I'm still my parents' son. So that how much more now in the spiritual realm that what God has begun, He's faithful to complete it. And the nature of salvation. So, you're, if you're wrestling about your salvation right now, I would just ask you to get outside of yourself and bring those cares and concerns to the Lord, to the Author and Finisher of your faith. Uh, repent of your sin. You know, if you're living in sin, you're you're practicing sin. Then repent and stop and come back to. I mean, I just taught in a Bible study here at Calvary last night about uh, Peter talking about, man, this is no time to be messing around and sleeping as believers. We need to wake up and wake up to righteousness and wake up to obedience and wake up to a day-by-day abiding relationship with Jesus. And and that's what I would encourage you to do. I I know it's hard because you kind of get caught in your head and, well, I'm such a bad person and I, I don't know, God can never save me. Well, you're not God. And God loves you. He knows how bad you are and loves you anyway. Sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And now turn that feeling around to appreciating God for his grace. The grace of God giving to us that which we don't deserve. He loves you. And so do we. And we'd love to hear from you. Um, Email me personally if you need more info on this. Ed at edtaylor.org. I'd love to hear from you.
0: Thanks for those encouraging words, my friend. Are you interested in hearing this again? If so, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. You can search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor, or listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Now, this month, we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's called The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and His style of ministry. It is totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of The Jesus Style today when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also now order resources like this through our new e-store at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Hebrews. Join Pastor Ed Taylor each day as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace.